So we are in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 26 through 39. Um, what should we read? Let's, let's read up. Let's read 26 to 31. Say amen if you're there. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more sore punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God, hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy or common thing, and hath done despite, insulted unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, says the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this portion of Scripture, Lord God, that you give us a strong warning of not to slip back. And it's so easy for us to slip back, especially when things are tough, especially when we've been challenged, especially when we've been hurt. It's so easy to go back to our old ways, but it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we stand strong and we stay close and we're encouraged and we put our trust in you and we walk by faith and not by sight. And so, Lord, would you open our ears to hear what you have for us today and help us to grow. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I entitled the message, Strong Warning. We've been going through the book of Hebrews and God has been showing us his superiority to everything, to creation, to angels, to prophets, to the sanctuary, that the earthly sanctuary, the temple that Solomon built, the tabernacle that Moses built was all just a model of the great tabernacle in heaven. And the real deal is always better than the model. He's superior to the high priest. He's superior to the Levitical priesthood. And we see all these things that he's superior to. He's God. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Creator. He's our everything. And he has done everything in his power for us to provide us with eternal life, except he will not force you to be saved. Because if he did that, you wouldn't truly be in love with him. You can't force love on someone. That's rape. And if he made us all and programmed us all to just love him and not do anything wrong, well, that's that love you can't even appreciate. Because that's like walking into your house and having your computer say, welcome home, I love you. Oh, that's nice, but it doesn't mean a whole lot. And you that have kids, you know that the love of your kids is something very, very special. Now, and there's a difference when, when they, you know, they tell you they love you and because you gave them 20 bucks or you let them use the car and they go, thank you, love you. That's great and everything. But you know what's, what's really the greatest is when your kids just come up out of nowhere and they, 
they hug you and they say, love you, Papa. No agenda. I'm not asking for anything. Just want to let you know I love you. That's, that's, that's the best. But you can't force people to do that. And so God has done everything in his power to provide a way for you to be born again, to be saved, to have eternal life. But he's not going to force you to, to love him. And so the writer of Hebrews has been stressing this to these Hebrews, these Hebrew Christians, and these Hebrews who had tasted and experienced the goodness of Jesus, but now found themselves going back to the old ways, going back to a lesser covenant, going back to an inferior covenant, going back to something that's not going to do anything for you because it's been part of their life for so many years. And the pressures that they were going under because they were going forward for Jesus, they were being pressured by Judaism, by the Hebrews, by families, by those who were looking at them as outcasts for what they've done now. They've chose Jesus. They're Christians. They're born again. They're no longer sacrificing in the temple. They're no longer doing these rituals and the things like this. And they can just go to God and ask for repentance. They don't have to offer an animal. And the pressure that was coming upon them was so great that many of them were ousted out of their families. And the families would consider them dead. They would be blocked from selling in the marketplace or buying it. They went under heavy persecution and it was starting to weigh on them and some of them were slipping back or they were trying to combine this this Judaism-Christianity. Once Jesus died on the cross, Christianity is all that matters. Before Jesus died on the cross, there was two groups, Jews and Christians. That was it. I mean, yeah. You didn't catch that. Okay, great. Before Jesus died on the cross, there was only Jews and Gentiles. When Jesus died on the cross, there became three groups, Jews, Gentiles, and Christians. You and I, as Gentiles, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we become born again. We're saved. Not so for the Jew. The Jew, when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're completed. Why? Because they already already had the right God. They already had God's Word. They just didn't have the right Messiah. And when they realized Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the final sacrifice once and for all for the sins of mankind and the Creator of all things, and they accepted Jesus, they became completed. And so this strong warning now to these Jewish believers to don't fall into this trap of going back to something that's inferior. He, if we back it up to uh, verse 24, he says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, to provoke one another to love and good works. That's our job. We're, we're supposed to provoke one another to doing good things and to loving others. To say, hey, buddy, I'll see you at church today, or I'll see you tonight, or, you know, hey, let's go, let's go love on some folks that are not doing so good, you know, to provoke one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some. I've never seen anyone who proclaims to be a Christian do anything for the Lord by not going to church. 
Everybody, I mean, I've, I've heard it all. I've heard people say, you know, I don't like to go to church because of crowds, and I don't like this, and I don't like, I, okay, whatever. But there's, a, there's an importance to the gathering of the brethren. You get something here that uh, you don't get on your own at home. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. There's no undercover brother. I don't know where that came from. But I'll tell you, and I know some of you, I know a lot of you. When we were shut down during COVID, that was horrible. You know what it was like standing in front of a video camera trying to share the Word of God with nobody in here? It was weird. And, and I'll tell you what, and how we felt that first Wednesday night when we just said, you know what, we're done with this. This is a game. They're playing with us. We're coming back. This place was packed on a Wednesday night. Everybody was hugging. There was no mask. There was nothing. And people were saying, I felt alive for the first time in months. And the reason being is because there's something special that happens here when we gather in the name of Jesus that you're not going to get on your own at home. At home, who's going to lay hands on you? You can't do communion at home. I mean, I mean, you can, but you're doing it all by yourself. Iron sharpens iron. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. The day's approaching. Jesus is coming soon. And he tells us to draw near because the day's approaching. Draw near, hold fast, consider. He doesn't say buy a shotgun and build a bunker. There's a lot of that going on right now. What's, what's the guy from Facebook? What's his name? Zuckerberg. He, he built like a 50,000 square foot bunker. What the world is he planning? I mean, and well, wait, let me just put it to you this way. Can anybody escape the Lord? Judgment's coming, guys. And I'll tell you what, your 50,000 square foot bunker and all the brown rice and shotguns and ammo you got ain't going to save you. Because when, what happens during the tribulation, there's demonic locusts that come out. And the walls don't stop them. And bunkers don't keep them out. You're going to pay the price. It would be better to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today than to have to go through that. If we could survive what's coming, God wouldn't even bother with His judgment. Hello? Does that make sense? Ain't nobody getting away. And no one's going to Survive this judgment by wisdom. Only by Jesus Christ. You want to prepare for the end of the world, draw near to Jesus. Hold fast to your faith. Consider one another. Don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. Prepare yourself. The Lord is coming soon. As we read in the first part, of this chapter, we realize that this passage has troubled many for many, many years. Who's he talking to there? These, these people who willfully sin, who have gone back, 
Who's he talking about? Is he talking about backslidden Christians? Is he talking about uh, those that lose their salvation? Or, or is he talking about people, if, if you don't believe that you can lose your salvation, is it people that were never really saved in the first place? You know what, you can argue about it all day long, but bottom line is, I'm just going to say this to you, make sure it's not you. Whatever you believe. There's good scholars that think you can lose your salvation. There's good scholars that think you can't lose your salvation. The good scholars who think this is just about a backslider. Good scholars that think it's an apostate, which is to, to depart from truth. Many people have done that. They depart from truth. They have a knowledge of an understanding. Weren't really saved, weren't really stirred up in the heart. So whatever you believe... Just make sure this isn't you going back. Because we could argue all day who he's speaking to. And good scholars do. Just make sure it's not you. We don't want to turn back. What are you turning back to? What you... We've all backslidden, right? I'll try that again. We've all backslidden, right? Okay, right. It's church. You've got to tell the truth. And it was no good, wasn't it? Oh, you got a little pleasure for a moment. But then you're like, what am I doing returning to the vomit? This is nowhere. The problem we see here is in the first few words of verse 26, for if we sin willfully, if we sin willfully, that's a scary Scary thing to think about. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge, speaking of Christ, of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. There's two things that we can apply this to. First off, going back, experiencing, being enlightened, having the knowledge of Jesus, hanging out with Christians, whether it's someone who has lost their salvation or, or never really was saved, you can argue that, like I said, all day long, but it's the fact that they left what they thought was truth and they departed from that truth and they went back to something that's inferior. And the strong warning from the writer, who I believe is Paul, is saying, now you're going back to something and you're offering sacrifices for animals. Bull, the, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. Jesus was the final sacrifice. So now when you sin, the sacrifice in the blood of animals not only does not forgive your sin, but now it's not even covering your sin anymore. Remember the whole purpose of it in the Old Testament? The sacrificial Animals were, were to cover sin, never could take away sin. That's why Jesus had to come to take away the sins of the world because the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do it. So he's saying to these Hebrews that are going back, he's saying you're now offering up animal sacrifices that don't take away sin and they don't cover your sin anymore. You're on a lose-lose. And if you don't get your sins right with God, how do you expect to grow? If you're in a backslidden stage, living in willful sin, and you're wondering why you're going through it, hello, wake up, you're still trying to do things on your own. Come to the Lord Jesus, ask for forgiveness, repent of your sins, He will be faithful and true to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, stand you on your feet and go, get going. 
Praise God for that. Do you know anybody else in your life that will help you do that? No, I just have people that point out how messed up I am. Point out all my faults. You have anybody like that in your life? Man, you could do a 300 good things and then one thing, someone says one bad thing about you and that's all you think about. Crazy world. You know, I've been pastoring for some 23 years. And over the years, I've seen everything. I've, I've had people in the church, and, and, and I, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't know all of you. I know your faces. That I know some of you. I know some of you really well, but I don't know everybody. And, and over the years, I just assume a lot. I see a couple here. I think, you know, I think they're married. Um, you know, I, I see someone, I think they've been coming for a while. They must be solid because we're, we're teaching through the Bible. I mean, you know, I think we've covered just about everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm making friends and I'm losing friends. I'm, you know, people are happy with me or they're not happy with what I say, but I'm just teaching the Word of God, so you can't get mad at me, get mad at him. But I can remember over the years having folks in the church who were gay. And I didn't know. Homosexuals, lesbians. Week after week, month after month. And, uh, and, and then finally it kind of came out and I found out. And, and at that point, this is, this is what is hard as a pastor. I have to go in love and just tell him, what are you doing? Oh, well, God, God knows me. He knows my heart. Yeah, he does. Wicked and deceitful, hello. Mine too. God knows us. Well, he's okay with me. Why? Because he hasn't done anything to you yet? You know, God is patient with us. And I have to say, listen, you know, God loves the homosexual, but he hates their sin. God loves the adulterer, but he hates their sin. God loves the fornicator, but he hates their sin. Because I've, I've dealt with it all. I've, I've dealt with, I, I remember a couple years ago, Came here for about a year. I mean, I, I, was, I think I was preaching through Corinthians, which is like, you know, hello. If, if every sin in the book was covered in Corinthians, right? And, and, uh, and this, the guy came up to me one day after service, and he said, hey, listen, um, we want to get plugged into ministry. And I go, great, go get your wife. We'll sit down and figure out where to put you guys. And he goes, oh, oh, she's not my wife. I'm like, what? I go, how long have you been coming? And he goes, oh, about a year and a half. I go, Hello? You guys are living together? You're not married? Are you kidding me? And they ended up getting married, and he ended up being a deacon. Yeah. If you're living a lifestyle of willful sin, and you say you're a Christian, because we know that not everybody that sits in church is necessarily saved. We know there's going to be a time where Jesus is going to say to those people, depart from me, I never knew you. They're going to say, listen, I went to Calvary Chapel. I cast out demons in your name. I did miracles in your name. He's going to say, I don't know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's a real thing that's going to happen because there's people out there that are fooling themselves because there's churches out there that won't teach on sin. They're just sugar and spice and everything nice, and they're just fattening up their flock to go to hell. And I'm looked at as some kind of crazy radical because I want to teach the truth. And I, I love you guys, but I'm not here to make friends. I mean, I mean, it doesn't sound right, but I mean, I, 
I want to be your friend. I, you know what I'm saying? I, I can't let this word get in the way of being a friend with you. I can't, I can't, or I can't let you get in the way of this word, is what I'm trying to say. This word, this is first. You're second, okay? It's important. The Bible tells us, I think it's uh, 1 Corinthians 5, I think it's Galatians 5, Ephesians 5, Revelation 21. It talks about those that are in willful sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when you've chosen a lifestyle of sin and you're saying, I know this is wrong, but I'm just going to do it and God better accept me, you're fooling yourself. You're, you're preparing for judgment. You don't want to do that. But let's say you're doing something over and over and you know it's wrong. If you're truly His, He'll come after you. If you were never really saved, you're just going to die in your sin. But if you're truly His uh, and He hasn't done anything to you yet, watch out because He's coming for you because why? He loves you. And to those whom He loves, He rebukes and chastens. Stop messing around with sin. See, there's a difference between us blowing it. We can blow it. We all have blown it. We can blow it and do something we shouldn't or, or, or all of a sudden blow it and be with somebody. But I'll tell you what, how you know you're His is that that bothers you. You're sickened by it. You're, you're like, what did I do last night? I can't believe I did that. Lord, forgive me of my sin. And He'll forgive you. But don't think you're going to go out and do something that you know you shouldn't be doing and then every time after you do it, you say, oh Lord, forgive me, because that's not true repentance. And you've got to ask yourself, are you really His? He says, for if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. You don't want that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, that's where you're headed. There's only two places. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, heaven or hell. I know there's a lot of junk out there on the internet. Don't buy it. It's heaven or hell. Well, I don't believe in that. It's not going to change anything. Hurricanes coming for the island. Well, I don't believe it. Not going to stop it. Jesus is coming. Judgment is coming to a Christ-rejecting world. You can't stop it. You need to get on one side or the other. And I encourage you to get on the right side, the side of Jesus Christ, a God that created all things. I don't care all these other beliefs that are out there, all this stuff. I don't care about science. I don't care about any of that stuff. I care about truth, and the truth is there is a Creator. And His name is Jesus Christ. And He is... God, He is our Savior, He is our Lord, He is our King, He is our Rescuer, He is our salvation, He is everything, and He loves you so much, and He is the only one out of all these false beliefs and false religions, He's the only one that says, listen, I love you, and I want the best for you, and I'm not angry with you. None of these other beliefs can promise you that. All the other stuff is like, well, you know, if you do this, you might get here. And if you do that, you might get there. And if you do this, you might appease your God. And there's no assurance. And, and they're, they're, they're freaking out. And nobody ever knows if they did enough. And they're doomed. 
And, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm, I'm trying to scare you to jump into the hands of Jesus and get out of this world. This world's got nothing for us. We're pilgrims passing through. Judgment is coming. That's what he just said there in verse 27. Judgment is coming. Judgment's coming. Guys, do you realize that WEF, the World Economic Forum, wants to put in a one-world rule before 2030? And we know from Scriptures that that means Jesus is coming. And that means the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. The Lord's going to come with a shout. And He's going to yank His church out of here. And the world is going to go through the tribulation. And God is going to judge a Christ-rejecting world. During the seven-year tribulation, the reason he does this is because he's not through with Israel. That's what the 70th week of Daniel is for. It's, it's basically for Israel. But it's an opportunity for everybody else to still experience the grace of God and get saved, but they'll be beheaded for their faith. You don't want to be there. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus, accept Jesus today, so you won't be there. You don't want to be there. What's going to happen is that you've got to remember that Jesus made a promise to Israel, and he's going to keep his promise, even though they failed. But the promise he kept them wasn't based on their performance. It was based on him. So the, the 70th week of Daniel, or the seven-year tribulation, is for Israel and all those who are on the earth as he turns up the heat. We are in chaos right now. They are pushing for a one-world rule, one-world market, one-world banking, one-world military, one-world health care. They're going to tell you and force you what to put into your kids, or they'll take their ki your kids away from you. It's all going down right before our eyes. Please, don't be an ostrich with your head in the sand. And what's going to happen? We've got, we got turmoil. We're on the verge of World War III. we got Middle East going down, Ukraine going down, China's going to go for Taiwan soon. You watch. And then while we're all distracted over here, something else is going to happen. All it would take to really usher in the seven-year tribulation would be Ezekiel 38. Or something similar. Ezekiel 38 is going to show us that the countries surrounding Israel are going to come up against Israel and God's going to step in and wipe out 80% of the enemy. And it's going to rock the whole world. Which makes a perfect setting for the Antichrist to rise to the occasion. This GQ, good-looking, smooth-talking guy who's going to have all the answers. He's going to bring out a seven-year peace treaty. Seven years. Hmm. What a quinky-dink. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to say, he's going to look to the Muslims and he's going to say, you know what? That didn't work out too good for you, that whole Ezekiel 38 thing, did it? Hmm. We, you know, let's, let's, let's give the, the Jews a bone. Let's, let's, you know, Ezekiel 42, let's put up a wall on the Temple Mount to separate the holy from the profane. We'll let them build their temple. They got everything already. They're, they're good to go. They just need the okay. So let's put up that wall. We'll separate you guys. And let's all just, you know, get along. Kumbaya. Have, has anybody ever been on the Temple Mount in Israel? So you know where the Dome of the Rock is, right? It's right like in the center. But north of it is the, the dome, what they call the Dome of the Spirit, which is kind of interesting. And it's a little gazebo. 
Well, the Dome of the Rock is not in front of the East Gate. That was a gate that was made, you know, a long time afterwards. The original East Gate is actually lines up with the Dome of the Spirit, but they closed it off. So the Dome of the Spirit, it says in Hebrew writings that on the Day of Atonement, that the high priest could look out the Holy of Holies through the Holy Place, through the East Gate into the Mount of Olives. You can only do that if the temple was where the Dome of the Spirit is, north of the Dome of the Rock. That mosque, that Muslim temple. So you could see how they could put a wall up there, build the temple, and everything could just fall right into place. And the funny thing is that the, the, the Muslims, knowing they've heard about the Scriptures, you know what they did? They sealed up that original East Gate that lines up with the, the Dome of the Spirit. They sealed it up because they heard that God's going to come through that, so they're like, we're going to stop them. We're going to seal that up. <laughs> and then somebody goes, I don't know if that's going to work. Let, you know what? A priest can't walk over dead bodies. Let's just bury a bunch of dead bodies all around there and he won't be able to go through. But you and I know that when he comes back, he's going to step down on the Mount of Olives and he's going to split that thing in two and he's just going to like party in the Red Sea and walk right up through the East Gate. It's all G. It's going to be a crazy time. All the judgments are going to be poured out. I see God's grace through the whole thing as the judgments are poured out because He's turning up the heat, turning up on the heat. He's trying to get people to tap out. Okay, all right, uh, Jesus, you're my Lord, my Savior. And, and then they're going to be killed for their faith. It says in Zechariah, I believe it's 14, that only one-third of the Jews during that time are going to survive. Two-thirds are going to be slaughtered. Because what's going to happen is the Antichrist is going to help them rebuild their temple. And then as soon as it's finished, he's going to sit down in it and proclaim himself to be God. Worship me or die. And he's going to go on a slaughter fest with the false prophet. And they're going to start wiping out Jews. And then... Uh, uh, a bunch of them are going to flee to Petra down in Jordan across the border. God's going to keep them safe there. you got the 144,000 that are sealed by God who are just preaching the Word of God. you got the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. They're going to be out there. you got angels circling around the globe just saying, choose Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. I mean, ministry's going down. But people are dying like crazy. And at the end of all of that, the Lord will come back with his church, we will be riding on white horses. If you don't ride a horse, you will know how by then. You'll have your new body. You'll be coming with the Lord, and we're going to watch him head right to Megiddo Valley. Megiddo Valley is about 185 miles by 60-something miles wide. It's a huge valley. I've been down in it. There's a jet base down there, a fighter jet base down there. We've been down there and met with those guys. But that whole valley is where everybody's going to gather that hates Jesus. They're all going to gather to fight against him and he's going to smoke them all and they're just going to be wiped out and it says that the valley is going to be filled with blood up to the horse's bridle so that Megiddo will be Lake Megiddo it'll all be blood for 185 miles five feet deep in blood and then the Lord's going to descend onto the Mount of Olives it's going to split in two and water's going to come up from under the altar and it's going to go to the Mediterranean Sea. It's going to go down to the Dead Sea and it's going to push all the, the minerals and the salt out of the Dead Sea and it's going to go across all the, the desert and, and this water coming out from under the altar is going to heal the earth because the earth is going to be utterly destroyed by the end of the tribulation. All the water's turned to blood. Every mountain has been broken down. Great earthquakes, all kinds of plagues and stuff coming on them. The place is wiped out and God's going to refurbish the whole earth and set up his kingdom and show us how it should have been
He's going to cast the uh, Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire before he sets up his thousand-year reign. He's going to cast all the unbelievers into hell. He's going to throw Satan into hell and chain him for a thousand years. And then after a thousand years, he'll be let loose and he'll try a rebellion again and they'll get up around the city of Jerusalem and God will smoke them once and for all. And then you know what he's going to do? He's going to, he's going to wipe out the heavens and the earth. There's going to be a great white throne judgment where all of hell will be emptied out. And all that rejected Jesus Christ will come before the Lord and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they'll move from hell to the the presence of the Lord, bowing their knee because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then they're going to be cast into the lake of fire, outer darkness for eternity. It doesn't end. There's no such thing as annihilation. It's real. And then you know what God's going to do with all of us? It's going to be so awesome. He's going to do Genesis 1-1 all over again with us present. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we are going to witness Genesis 1-1 as he speaks a new earth, new heavens, new Jerusalem into existence. Okay, that had nothing to do with my message. But it sure felt good. Verse 28, anyone who rejects Moses' law dies without mercy under the testimony of two or three witnesses. So what he's saying to these folks, he says, listen, you're, you're walking away from what Jesus is offering you. You're going back to an inferior covenant that cannot take away your sins and now doesn't cover your sins. And you're going back to these things and you're, basically you're rejecting what God is offering, the gift of salvation, and you're going back to the law. The law kills. So he reminds them that under Moses, no mercy was shown to the one that broke the law. So if you got caught doing something by two or three witnesses, they would bring you before the elders, take you out of the city, and stone you to death. They would rock you till you died. This was a strong warning. People were taken and put to death, capital punishment for serving other gods. This is how radical. God was making a statement. He was saying, listen, don't serve any other gods. And the children of Israel started dabbling with false gods, and then they started doing this thing like, well, you know, God, you're number one, but there's all these other gods, and you know, there can't just be one. I mean, and you can't have too many gods, and so there's the God of the soil, the God of the air, the God of wire, the God of wine. You know, we gotta, you know, I'm just trying to cover all my bases. And God says, no, I will not have that. I will not share my glory with another. God doesn't want to be number one on a list of one to ten. He wants to be number one on a list all by himself because no one else comes close. And what was happened when they would dabble with these things, they'd be taken out and put to death. If somebody was caught in the act of adultery, both the man and the woman were taken out and stoned. They were put to death. How about this? Kids, listen up. Any teenagers in here? Here we go. Check it out. If you dishonored your parents, they dragged you out of the city, they stoned you, made another one look just like you. That's why the fifth commandment comes with a promise. Honor your father and mother, a promise of long life. We don't do that anymore, do we? Thank God. God has shown us a lot more grace because I don't think any of us would make it out of here alive. So he reminds them of that. 
And then he says, but listen, physical death is nothing compared to spiritual death. Look at verse uh, 29. Of how much more worse the punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a unholy or common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? How much worse would that be? See, because I'll tell you something. There's one thing. Physical death is one thing. Spiritual death, whole other animal. We're eter- we are eternal beings. We are all going to live forever. You're either going to live in heaven or you're going to live in hell. What are you choosing? And you need to understand, if you're here today, God does not send you to hell. You send yourself. He's done everything in his power. He says, I love you. I want you with me forever. Here, take the gift of salvation and live forever. And you're like, not nah, going to do it on my own. I don't want anything to do with you. That was your choice. You sent yourself to hell, not him. Nobody's going to blame God in hell. Oh, I didn't know. He's going to go, roll the tape. <laughs> Everybody that ever witnessed to you, all the things he revealed to you, no one's getting away with it. He said, by rejecting me, you've trampled under the foot the Son of God. You've made my blood a common or unholy thing. In other words, these guys going back to animal sacrifices, they're saying, well, Jesus isn't really who he is, trampling him. Ah, his blood's no different than mine or animals. Wow. And you know what you're doing? You're insulting the Holy Spirit. God in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's a real deal. And they're all equal. They're all the same. The Holy Spirit is Christ that dwells in you. The Holy Spirit's job is to get you to the finish line. The Holy Spirit's job is to seal you into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring you the gifts. The gift of salvation. The gifts of the Spirit to use for others to further the kingdom. Rejecting what Jesus Christ did, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, will lead you in outer darkness in the lake of fire in the long run. You do not want to go there. Actually, let me, let me just clarify that a little bit. Let's just... Uh, I want to look at something really quick here about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, okay, check this out. This is from Matthew 12. Just listen to me. Then one brought to him one who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. He healed him, speaking of Jesus. Jesus healed him. Healed that blind and the mute man both He spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed. And they said, could this be the son of David? Then when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So he's saying this guy, he's casting out demons by Satan. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then is his kingdom going to stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges." But if I cast the demons out by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me is scattered abroad. Therefore I say unto you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven of men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven of men. Anyone who speaks the word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit... It will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. What is he saying? Listen, if you reject what Jesus Christ does, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and there is no forgiveness for that. Now, what does that mean? That means if you hold that, pers- that position and persist with it all the way up to your day of your death, you're going to be separated from the true and living God. You ain't going to make it. Because there's only one thing that will keep you out of heaven, rejecting what the Holy Spirit's offering, what Christ is offering. Salvation. But if you reject the Lord all your life, but on your deathbed you go, what was I thinking? I was stupid. I'm so, I, I repent. As long as you have breath, you have hope. And some of you have dealt with that with loved ones on their deathbed and, and they don't want to come to Jesus because you've been telling them about Jesus for 20 years and they're like, well, I feel like a hypocrite because now at the last minute when the chips are down and I'm about to die, you're just telling me just accept Jesus and I'll be born again. I, I live my life like hell all my life and now I'm just going to like be a hypocrite and choose Jesus and get saved. And I'm like, yeah. Well, I'd be a hypocrite. I go, join us all. We're all hypocrites. But the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is as long as you have breath, you have hope. And you can slide in right now. The only thing you're going to miss out on is the rewards. You didn't do anything for them, but you made it. You get in with your pants smoking, you're not going to get a whole lot, but you made it. And you get a new body. And that's awesome. So he says, How much worse is it going to be for those who just reject that and trample the Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified, an unholy or common thing, and insulting the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. Is it a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God? I'll tell you what, if you don't know Jesus, it's going to be a fearful thing to stand before Him, before the great white throne judgment, and have Him say, Depart from me, I don't know you. And you're going to say, but, 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 no. And God will judge His people. Israel is His people. That's what's going to happen the 70th week of, of Daniel. That's for the Jews. He's still extending a hand. And He's doing that to some of you today. Maybe some of you, I don't know who you are, but maybe you are caught up in something that you're doing week after week after week after week. You know it's wrong, but you keep doing it. And you're like, well, I, I guess God's okay with me. He hasn't done anything. Stupid! He's coming for you because He loves you. He's patient and long-suffering. He's hoping you will pull it together before He has to come and do something. But He will, because He loves you that much, He will grab you and take you to the woodshed. I've been there many times. Because He loves you. Just like when you spank your kids, right? You spank your kids, right? There's no CPS here, okay? We spank our kids. That's what the Bible says. There's a beautiful little thing that God created called a rear end. It's cushy enough. They surely won't die. When I ask parents, what do you do when your kids get bad? They go, time out. I give them a time out. I'm like, time out. Where's that? Time out. 
Is that in the concordance? Time and out? What, you send them to their room where all their toys are in, in solitary confinement with Xbox? I don't think that's a time out. God loves you. And he will spank you because he loves you, because he wants the best. You, you know, remember when your parents used to say, this hurts me more than it hurts you? And I'm like, well, let me have a try on you with the belt. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, you know, I don't get it, but now I get it. Boy, we're out of time. I'm sorry, I went over. Austin's going to be mad at me. But now he says something, he says something after this. He, he's, he's reminding them that, um, that, you know what? Choosing Jesus isn't easy, Right? How many of you have suffered persecution? How many have had your family turn away from you and friends turn away from you, lose your job because you're a Christian and there's just no tolerance for you, but you've got to tolerate everybody's junk that's out there. People just don't have a problem just saying whatever they do. But if you bring up Jesus, oh, stop that right there. And now he's reminding them to, and this is for us, this is for me. Whatever, this world stinks. Whatever's going on in this world, he says, keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I, I love it what the, back in the Old Testament, where they're like, they were facing sure death. They're like, we're overwhelmed. We don't know what we're going to do, but my eyes, our eyes are upon you. That's, that's us. That's, that's where we've got to be. So he says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured great struggling with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both with reproaches and tribulations. You went all, through all kinds of stuff, and partly why you became companions of those who were so treated. And so he says, man, you suffered stuff not only for being a Christian, but for hanging out with others that were. And he says, but he wants you to keep your eyes on the prize. He goes, he goes um, for you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. So he's saying, listen, no matter what, keep your eyes on the prize. He said, listen, you had compassion for me when I was in my chains. You're going, you guys are going through a lot. This is one of those verses why I believe Paul wrote this. Because which of the gospel writers, which of the, the New Testament writers in the New Testament uh, were in chains all the time? Paul. And then he's going he's gonna to say another verse down here that's going to remind me of him too. But if you, if you look through, and this is why I think Paul wrote it, because he says, I was in chains. In the book of Hebrews, he'll also tell us that Timothy's hanging out and he's, he's going to send Timothy. Uh, who hung out with Timothy? Paul. And then in the book of Hebrews, he says, pray for us. No other New Testament writer ever wrote pray for us except for Paul. So I think this is Paul. And he's saying, listen, you know, you stayed side by side with me in my chains. I'm staying side by side with you in your bondage. He goes, hang tight. Bear with it. You guys are suffering persecution. This place is not our home. We're passing through. Life's but a vapor. We're going to be there. Keep your eyes on the prize. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. The promise of salvation, the promise of, of heaven, everlasting life, eternal life. Now check this out. Let's wrap it up. For a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. He's coming soon. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul will not have pleasure in them. 
the just, he's, he's saying, listen, I know you're going through stuff. I know every one of you are suffering some kind of tribulation. Walk by faith, not by sight. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anything that you do that is not in faith is sin. So you got to keep your eyes on the prize and walk, and God's going to guide you. He's going to get you through it because he says, I got your hand. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. Stop crying and whining. I said that to me because I cry and whine to him. But maybe you do too, so I thought maybe you could relate. He says the just shall live by faith. Another reason why I think Paul wrote. Because Paul writes about, he makes this quote from Habakkuk 2.4, and he, he mentions it in Romans and he mentions it in Galatians and it's mentioned here. So I just think, I just so like Paul to turn the just shall live by faith into a trilogy because when he writes it to the Romans and he says the just shall live by faith, to the Romans speaks of the just. And then when he speaks to the Galatians, the just shall live by faith, Galatians speaks of how we shall live. And then the just shall live by faith in Hebrews is by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those which believe to the saving of the soul. Please stand. Let's pray. Father, Father, I just pray we get it. We get it, Lord. This is no time to be consumed with anything of the world but to be fully consumed with you. Time is running out. The season is before us, Lord God. We see it all unraveling before our eyes, Lord God. We want to finish well. We pray right now in the name of Jesus to fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit and give us the strength that we need to continue throughout this day and throughout this week, Lord God. Help us to live each day as though you're coming today. And Lord... Help us to be holy and pure, for you are holy and you are pure. Help us to be a light that shines bright for your glory, that when men see our good works, they glorify you in heaven. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, would you accept him today? Just ask him into your heart. It's real easy. It's not complicated. It's all by faith. Pray this in your heart. If you want Jesus, say, Lord, I believe you're who you are. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. And by asking you into my heart that I become born again, saved by the grace of God. So Jesus, save me now in your name. If you just prayed that in your heart, would you just lift up your hand so I could see? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Praise God. Father, for the rest of us, Lord God, we so look forward to seeing you, Lord. And we need more of you. Less of me, more of you. Strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship.